Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for your pri- the privilege of being able to come before you, to be able to pray, to be able to preach the word of God. Would you be with us today? Give us ears to hear. Give us, Lord, the mind of Christ, the ability to be able to take into our heart the very word of God. We honor you and we bless you and we thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for those that are here. We magnify you and thank you for keeping us throughout the entire week from dangers that we really didn't even see. When the enemy had harm meant for us, God, you protected us. And we don't take that for granted. For we live in a spiritual war world. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities, against powers, against spirits in high places. Against an enemy of our soul. <laughs> but we thank you that we have the Savior who dwells within. And so today we thank you for your wonderful protection and your grace. Now would you bless today, continue to bless. We thank you as we break open the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have, as of two weeks ago, started a new series in the book of Philemon. And in the Greek is Philemon, <laughs> pronounced Philemon. But when we consider this here, it brings up, as I was mentioning, this matter of does God sanction slavery? Well, they had slavery back in the 100 B, well, back in the ADs and BC that has been here for years. But no, but Paul is dealing with the situation where Philemon was the owner of a slave and Onesimus ran away. It is a personal letter that Paul writes, I believe in approximately AD 60. And so this book is dealing with this matter of receiving back someone who has done wrong. And receiving them as a brother because there's been a change of heart. So as we go through this over the course of however long, maybe a month, month and a half, however long it takes, even though it's only one chapter, we're going to delve now back into this passage. I'm going to read Philemon 4 through 10. And whenever there's one chapter, you can just say the verses. So I'm going to read 4 through 10, but my concentration will be on 6 through 10 as we read 1 through 5 two weeks ago. This is how it reads. In the ESV. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow us along on the board. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I have, because I hear rather of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you. For my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my. Today we continue with the same title, part two, writing to a friend with a very special request. Writing to a friend with a very special request. Last time we made point one, which was, and going to continue that point, is you are doing a good job. Paul to Philemon, you are doing a good job. 
The first phrase in verse number six is literally that the fellowship of your faith in the Greek, that the fellowship of your faith. Verse six in all of Philemon is one of the most difficult passages to know what it means. Many scholars and commentators have been puzzled by this verse. It has been one debated over time. What does it actually mean? It is an awkward construction. But the main phrase, the main point is in that Greek fellowship, that word fellowship. In the Greek it is koinonia, fellowship. We have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship for those who are in Christ. Koinonia means fellowship. It deals with a close association involving mutual interests. That word is the key to verse 6. Paul says in this passage, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It is believed that the common faith that the believers had is the focus of Paul. That common faith was their relationship in Jesus Christ. Do you not know that when a person comes to the Lord, there is no black, no white, no Jew, no Asian. There is only one in Christ, and that is the family of the Almighty God. Paul calls those who have come to the Lord brothers, sisters. That phrase has been, or word, has been designated for those who have made a change and have accepted the Lord. It shows a bond. It shows a commonality in regards to a relationship that we have with the Lord. Paul is dealing with the mutual, is dealing with the mutual participation of those who have the same Christ. Now, now I need you to understand this. Two weeks ago when I was mentioning it, even before, when one looked at slavery, it was not the same as we think of today in our mind. In some cases it was, but it was oftentimes different. You see, there were times a person, because of a famine or a family, a person would, have an, would go to an individual when maybe there was a famine or there was a need, and he would say, I want to become your slave or your bond servant. Why was that? Because the owner was then required to provide for that person. So if a person was dealing with the matter of um, no food or dealing with the matter of having or about to experience death or some type of tragedy, they could align themselves with an individual in order to have their needs met. And the arrangement was oftentimes that their freedom would come based on whatever the mutual agreement may have been after the famine or after they were able to get back on their feet. But in some cases, uh, the, the person who actually purchased that individual, they may be very old. And so if they didn't have children, they would oftentimes say, now, when you get your freedom, you've got to take me with you. I've told you this. He says, don't, don't, don't leave me. I don't have anybody, so just like I have to take care of you now, you've got to take care of me. <laughs> and so this was a type of relationship that some had, not in all cases, 
What Paul is dealing with is a very touchy matter in the Bible. And the Bible does not make any excuses for dealing with touchy subjects. Now, when we deal with this issue of freedom, the Lord, when he made us, made us in his image and he made us free. He gave us of himself. He made us in his image. What is the image of God? The image of God is will, intellect, and emotions. Those three things. When the Lord said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. That was referring to will, intellect, emotions. You see, you can never be God, so don't, don't, don't even go. Don't try to be good. No. There's only one God. But his image, how he created you, created you on the sixth day, the crown of his creation, and then rested. My dad would say, there's only one you. When God made you, there was a mold that he made, and there would be nobody ever like you again. Nobody with your DNA. My dad would oftentimes say, he can take a bloodhound and pick you out of a Super Bowl crowd of 90,000. That bloodhound will find you. <laughs> Give him a little sniff of whatever you all own, and he'll search you out in that in that 90,000 crowd, you can't hide from the bloodhound. Some of you all are trying to hide from God. I know you are. <laughs> but you can't. You're special. God made you special. And so when we look at difficult subjects and matters in the Bible, the Bible does not shy away from it. It addresses what was happening at that time. The Bible never condoned slavery. It was never something that God orchestrated, but yet it is something that happened. It was a part of the culture, and yet there were rules that were set up for it because it was a part of the life. And so Paul is dealing with the situation with Philemon, or Philemon and Onesimus, who was the person who had run away. And what Paul is now doing, he is appealing to Philemon because Onesimus, who had run away to Paul, who was in prison, came to a saving knowledge of the Lord. You see, when the Lord saves you, there's a change of heart that takes place. There's a change that happens in your heart. Some of the things that you used to do that you said, you know, it was no problem, then you began to be convicted. And, and so you sometimes think, why am I feeling this way? Because you have a new person indwelling you. Paul is, is, is commending Philemon because of how he has been generous to the church, there was a church that was in the house of Philemon. The, the letter to the Colossians and, and the city of Colossae, uh, this is where Philemon had been. And, and, and Philemon was one of those individuals who evidently was known for his good works. Some have even suggested that Onesimus may have been the one when he had run away who told Paul about some of the good things that Philemon was doing. In verse number seven, he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You see, Philemon's ministry was beyond just the church that was meeting in his home. Evidently, because of his status, uh, he was known for good works throughout the churches or throughout that area. And Paul is commending him 
and telling him how he appreciates him before he makes his request to him. He's saying you've showed love to the saints. You've been generous to those that have been in need. Paul is mentioning that as he is on, on house arrest from things that have been told him. And Paul writes what we call the, the prison letters, the pastoral letters. Uh, we, we find that he writes first and second Timothy and Titus and Philemon while he's, in, while he's in prison. And get this. I'll say this now. It's kind of just to spoil it. The letter to the Colossians believed that Onesimus, the slave, was the one who delivered the letter to them from Paul. Have you ever been to a, in a situation where you really couldn't trust somebody? And you have something that you need to get to somebody, and the only person that can take it is a person that you don't trust. What are you going to do? <laughs> you have a dilemma. But the person says, I've changed. Now the test comes when you entrust them with the $5,000 to give to the other person. <laughs> I just made that number up. <laughs> that valuable gift that you give says, would you please deliver this to such and such? Well, what Paul does, he takes the letter, the very gospel, the very word of God, or the good news, and says, I want you, along with this other, to take this letter back. So as Paul talks to Philemon and sends and writes this out, he is commending him for all the things that he has heard. Now, while Paul could require Philemon to do the right things and says, because of the change of heart that has happened to him, to Onesimus, I could command that you accept him back as now a brother. But Paul doesn't do that. This is what Paul says, verses 8 and 9. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. What gave Paul his authority? You see, the apostles were those individuals that had been given certain benefits and privileges to be able to not just make demands, but to have the authority to sanction and to put their stamp of approval on certain matters. So whenever there was a situation that took place or a controversy after Christ died and rose from the dead, and in the book of Acts, you will find that many things are going through the disciples. Why? Because they had been given, the apostles had been sanctioned by the Lord and had been given certain responsibility and authority because they were his representatives. The word apostle means one who is sent. They were ambassadors or representatives from the Lord. When you look at the, books, the book of Acts, it is the acts of the apostles. Paul, having an, being an apostle because of his Damascus Road experience, where the Lord had shown himself to Paul on that road, Paul, having been converted, became an apostle of the Lord. Because of that status, he is the one that is elevated to be able to make certain demands and to make certain de decisions in regards to what one was to do. But what Paul does in this matter is he doesn't go that route. He says, I could command you to do this, but he says, I would rather appeal to you. 
Not to lord it over you, but to appeal. Why is this? Because Paul was also instrumental in helping Philemon come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let me say this. When you consider that Paul wrote most or a good portion of the New Testament, his status could have gone to his head. Some of the vision that the Lord showed him, some of the things that God did in his life, it could have gone to his head. But the Lord says that he put a thorn in Paul's flesh. And the Bible says that Paul prayed three times that God would remove the thorn. Whatever it was, it was painful. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. He wouldn't remove the thorn because he put it there so that Paul wouldn't get puffed up. That was Paul's situation. He prayed, and even though he worked great miracles, God did not remove whatever the thorn was. Can you imagine Paul being this great man of God performing miracles? The Lord is allowing people to be healed, and yet the Lord keeps a thorn in his flesh. Have you ever been upset when God blesses another person, and you say, Lord, what about me? <laughs> Have you ever been there? I've been doing this, Lord, and I don't see you blessing me. What's happening? I've prayed, I've done this, I've done that. God, where's my blessing? And the Lord just might say, my grace is sufficient for you. Be faithful, it's coming. <laughs> you see, the Lord knows what we need. He knows what we need in order to stay focused on him. Here we have Paul being in prison, not complaining about his imprisonment, but what is he doing? He's writing letters to the church. Some people have been writing letters to the judge, the parole board, get me out of here. Well, what did you do? Yes, I did some crime, but get me out. Paul's crime was that he loved God. Have you ever been locked up because you love God? Because you served him? Because you did good deeds and loved people? Because you served the Almighty, blessed people? Got to get rid of him. Got to get rid of her. And what does Paul do? He's in prison and he says, I've heard about your love for the saints. Keep up the good work. The person that ran away, he's here with me. <laughs> I'm going to send him back to you. I'm a prisoner. I'm an old man, but that word old man you see in verse 9, it should really be considered, they state in the Greek, it should be considered ambassador. That, that translation, old man, one would think that he is an old man. Well, uh, he's getting up there, but that word actually means he is an ambassador. Paul chooses to not be heavy-handed. Because of the situation that Paul is dealing with, with Philemon and Onesimus, Whatever Onesimus has done, Paul does not go into any details about it. He doesn't state what it is. Whatever the problem was, Paul does not state it in his appeal. But what he does is he makes a plea for an individual because a change in status in his life. Philemon's indebtedness to Paul is very, very noteworthy. Paul is one of the individuals, when we consider in Scripture, he was one to where you would say could never be saved because he was, he was 
persecuting the church, taking the Christians out, applauding when something bad happened, when Stephen, Stephen Stephen was being stoned, was given his approval. But there was a change. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6 says, Now as a concession, not as not a command, I say this. There's another passage that Paul is using this matter of concession, not demanding. Another scripture talks about concession. 2 Corinthians 8, 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Dealing with the matter of making appeals rather than making a command. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another matter where Paul makes an appeal rather than a demand. Romans 15.30 I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. In Paul's appeal to Philemon, Paul wants Philemon to make the decision based on what has happened in his own life and how Paul has been instrumental in helping him come to a saving knowledge. Philemon, he's done you wrong, but this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to hold it against him. Verse number 10 of Philemon, this is where I will conclude for today. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul is saying that I became his spiritual father because of the decision that he made. And so because of the change, I am making an appeal to you, Philemon, on behalf of a person who has done you wrong. Even though I could command you to do the right thing, I don't want to do that as my role as an apostle. But I want to appeal to you as a brother to accept Onesimus back. I am, I am sending him back to you. And as you go through this, as we study this later on, you will see how Paul begins to talk to him and how Paul lays out. He at one point was not useful, but now he is going to be useful. The name Onesimus actually means useful. (laughs) At one point, he was not trustworthy, but now he is. Why? All because of a change that is taking place in his life. So I don't want you to treat him as he left, but I want you to treat him now as a change person as a brother. What happens when a person has done you wrong and you are at a place where you said, I just can't forgive them. We've all been there. And what does God do? He puts that very person right in your life, in your path. And there you go trying to look at every way to get around. How can I get out of this? They're coming my way. What does God do in the church? He takes people from the world and puts them right in the church. He takes sinners from the world and places them right in the church. And say, now y'all got to get along. (laughs) This is all practice here. And what does God do? The Lord saves sinners. Do you not know that we are saved by grace? 
It is the grace of God that saves us. None of us are saved more than another person. We are all saved when we accept the Lord as Savior by the blood of Christ. There's only one Lord, one baptism, one faith. When the Lord saves you, you don't get just a little bit of the Lord. You get all of the Lord. He comes inside to dwell within you. And what begins to happen? He begins to work on the inside. He said, now we're going to begin to clean up some things from the past. And so what the Lord begins to do, he begins to take you back to places and the situations and the people to clean it up. Why? Because you have a new person residing on the inside. Do you not know that ministry, as my dad would say, is a matter of receiving and giving? It, you give and receive. Why is serving God so great? Because God is a wonderful giver. He died for us. Something he did that we did not deserve. He died for us. He gave himself. The best gift, the most crucial gift, the son gave him, not because of what he did, but because of what, what we did. And when Paul talks to Philemon, he's saying, Philemon, we have this commonality because we are one in Christ. Just like he cleaned us up and forgave us, there's some things that we have to do as well. As hard as it might be. So, who are you holding right now that you have to get it right with? Who is Onesimus in your life? <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your tremendous forgiveness. And how Paul does not cut corners but just lays it out for us. How he appeals to the love and the good works of Philemon as he is wanting him to receive back a person who has done him and his family wrong. <laughs> but to say there's been a change, don't look at him because of his past, but look now at him because of the change that has occurred. So today we pray that, Lord, as you work in our very lives, as you clean us up, that we will be receptive and open to all that you are doing. It's being done because why? You love us beyond measure. You have the best plan for us, and we thank you. We honor you, and we bless you. We thank you that we can bring all things to you, <laughs> that we can give you our all, and we can entrust you with our most precious secrets, because you already know them. And so today, we just pray that, God, you would do a work continuously on the inside to make us more like you. Lord, we really want to be more like you. We bless your name, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Let's give God a hand, Brother George. Amen. Amen.